We'll turn in our Bibles, please, to the first chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. I bid you welcome also, and we pray that the Lord will come very near to us today as we gather before Him in His house and around His own Word. You are aware of the meeting on Tuesday night, and as I prayed and thought this week, the Lord brought me back to this chapter. I've preached on it before in relation to such events as electing office bearers, but the Lord brought it back to me very powerfully, and I trust that it will be a fresh word, and as it is the final word before this election, we do pray that God will use it to guide and to lead. We must look to Him for that. So, let's just have a word of prayer before we read and come to the Lord's message. Our Father in heaven, we bow before Thee and we wait in Thy courts. We thank Thee for that tie that binds the hearts of God's people together. We thank Thee for the indwelling Spirit. We bless Thee for His omnipresence, that there is not a heart of a child of God across the world even, but is indwelt by the Holy Ghost. Lord, we rejoice in His sovereign and His mighty operations there. We thank Thee that He directs us, He illuminates us, He gives us understanding of the Scriptures, and He breathes upon our minds and our souls to shed light there. And, O Lord, we do pray that through Thy Word this day the Holy Spirit will bring to us what we need to know, what we need to consider as we are moving into this matter of electing men to office. We do pray, Lord, that Thy name will be glorified in it all, that Christ will be exalted. We pray that Thou will come now. Yea, Lord, give a word in season the whole way through this message for everybody, even from the youngest right through to the oldest. O Lord, we pray for those online that they also will be blessed and that a work will be done for Thy glory and for Thy praise. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, and we ask that He continue with us for Thy glory and for Christ's sake. Amen and amen. So Acts 1, and we will, we will read the latter half of the chapter, beginning at verse number 15. Acts 1, verse number 15. Let us hear the Word of God. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this Scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a keldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection? 
and the appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our souls. Now, for several weeks now, our focus has been on set on moving toward the election of men to the office of deacon within this congregation. Consequently, it has been our purpose as your ministers to bring to your minds relevant scriptures to give you guidance as a congregation in this process. Now, that guidance is essential since the New Testament gives the church the mandate or the authority to choose men to the office of deacon as well, of course, as to the office of elder. It is in the light of divine truth that our minds and our hearts, therefore, are directed. The passage read today clearly reveals the principle of the Lord's people appointing men to church office. The setting of the passage is given in verse 15. The days that are mentioned in verse 15, those ten days, are the days between the Lord's uh, ascension and the day of Pentecost. They were days of prayer. All ten days were spent seeking after the mind and the face of the Lord. Verse 14 describes the gathering of the Lord's people in that upper room to engage in prayer and in persistent prayer as we've already noted due to the ten days altogether been spent in that manner. But they were also days of preparation as well as prayer because as they prayed they were thinking of the future. The ministry allotted to them the need to have things in place to press on with the fulfillment of the great commission that the Lord had given to His church and to His disciples there before He went away from them. And therefore, they were praying and they were preparing. And it's actually very significantly in that order that we understand these verses, praying and preparing. Prayer must permeate and govern all preparation regarding every purposed step, every proposed step and development in the work of God. Now, one of the aspects of preparation was the appointment of a man to take the place of Judas. And to that end, there was a gathering of the entire church of that moment as far as Jerusalem is concerned, in that upper room. That same verse 15 tells us that there were about 120 disciples in the Jerusalem congregation. They were all present on this occasion that is in view. Peter stood up among them. He set before them the situation and the need to appoint a man to the office, and they proceeded to do so. The language implies very clearly that Peter, as an apostle, brought the believers who were present on that occasion 
into the matters. He led them into it, and step by step, a decision was reached. And a man called Matthias was appointed to the vacant office. Now, at the close of verse 24 of this chapter, there are these pertinent words, part of the prayer, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And then in verse number 26, reference is made to the people casting their lots, which essentially means that they made a deliberate and a conscious choice. And so the element of choice is clearly in view in this passage, and that is the dominant matter that really struck my mind and my heart as the Lord led me to this passage again, to consider it and to preach from it on this Sabbath morning. It says there in those words in verse 26, He was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now the verb numbered means to reckon or actually to vote. And that's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord actually uses a word here that means to vote. In the Greek text, the word for number, this word that means to reckon or to vote, includes a noun that means pebbles. Now, I'm not being facetious here. I'm telling you the truth. In the Greek verb for numbered, you have a noun. It's a compound word, and that noun actually means pebbles. So what does this all mean? Well, it indicates that the people were given pebbles so that they would have signified their choice by the allocation of pebbles to the two men who were running for office, so to speak. And when we think about that, it actually is an ancient practice that's in view here in olden times. This is how they voted. They were given uh, pebbles or maybe some other kind of article, maybe certain lengths of sticks or whatever, and they used those items to indicate their choice. And the pebbles could have been of different colors. In fact, very often they were of different colors. We use ballot papers in our elections now, whether of a political kind or even in church uh, ballots, but the idea is there that these people had a choice, and they indicated the choice by means I firmly believe of using a pebble in a certain way. They didn't throw the pebbles, they cast them down, and they indicated their choice in that particular way. Now, based on those details, I want to consider some matters, several matters, in relation to the church choosing its officers. So the principle is there, the people of God and you who are communicant members of this congregation should take this seriously, and I believe you are, and you have the right to cast your pebble or exercise your vote and do that on Tuesday night or maybe at another time and working up to this entire matter. And so I want to look with you, therefore, at that line of thought, the principle of choice that comes out in this passage. Number one, the aspects of the choice. The narrative in this passage is indicative of certain aspects or features of the choice that ultimately led to the appointment of this man, Matthias. I want to mention some of those aspects, for they are very relevant. They are exceedingly important. This was a divine choice. We begin there in verse 24. 
It says in that verse, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. As I was thinking about those words, that part of the prayer, I felt it would be good to read it this way and leave out the number two and simply read it this way. Show whether of these thou hast chosen. In this case it was two, but in the case that you will deal with in your voting, uh, that number's not actually in view, but just put it that way. Show whether of these, the names that are left on the list that you will have on your hand when you go to exercise your vote. And the prayer, therefore, was, and we can make it our prayer, show whether of these thou hast chosen. Now, in the prayer that's offered by the church here, led by Peter, of course, there is the recognition of the divine choice along with a desire in the hearts of the people for the revelation of that choice, that it would be given to them. They, they pray that way. The divine choice is seen, of course, in other places in Scripture. We take, for example, John 15, verse 16. The Lord says there, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. And those words are to do with the choice of the eleven apostles, the actual men who are mentioned here in this chapter. That is, the eleven left out of the twelve because Judas is gone. But the Lord says, I have chosen you. There is again the divine choice. They were directly and immediately chosen by God. Or Acts 9.15 concerning well, Saul of Tarsus, as he was then, but became Paul the Apostle, Christ said, He is a chosen vessel unto me. And in every case, the same verb is being used. This word that indicates the matter of choice. But it's the divine choice that we're looking at here. Because their prayer was, Show whether of these thou hast chosen. Now, the divine choice is eternal. Because the words are in the past tense. Show whether of these thou hast chosen. And I am saying to you from this pulpit now that we serve a sovereign God and that sovereign God from all eternity knows the outcome of Tuesday night because He has appointed it all from eternity. He has chosen men from eternity even as He chooses men to be His people or people to be His people in general, He has chosen men for this office from all eternity, those whom Thou hast chosen. One of the outstanding examples of that eternal choice being the divine choice is the prophet Jeremiah. Just to take the words that God spoke uh, that, spe that He speaks to us concerning Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, He says this, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Therefore thou camest forth out of the womb. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know those words struck me with great freshness and force this week. Before I formed thee in the belly. I was just saying to somebody the other day that every time there is, maybe it was even from this pulpit, when you get to my age, sometimes you forget what you said when you said it. But I was saying this the other day. Every time a child is conceived in the womb, it's the work of God. 
The Lord told Jeremiah, I formed thee in the belly. Yes, there is the biological union in conception, but it's God who gives the life. And he's telling Jeremiah, I formed thee in the belly, but before I did that, I knew thee. Wonderful statement. And it's not a matter of God knowing Jeremiah uh, in the days or the weeks prior to his conception in his mother's womb. It's much more than that. It takes us away back into eternity. And from all eternity, God knew all about Jeremiah. He had his eye on him. He had his mark on him. And he said, that man will be a prophet. And dear brothers and sisters, that's a very solemn thing. That's why we need to pray much about these matters. About who are the ministers of Christ church. About who are the elders of Christ church. And the deacons of Christ church. Because we want those who are chosen by God, the divine choice, and the divine choice is eternal. And the wonderful thing is that you and I can come before God in prayer and simply do what these people say here, as they put it, show whether of these thou hast chosen. It is a divine choice and it's eternal. But let me tell you something else. The divine choice is errorless. It's without error. The emphasis in verse number 24 again is this, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these thou hast chosen. And notice the emphasis there in the prayer on the Lord knowing the heart. That's a very interesting word. It says there, Thou that knowest the heart. Knowest the heart. It's one Greek word again. And you all know something of Greek, let me tell you, because the Greek word for heart is cardios. And you know about cardiac matters. And it's actually pronounced something like this, this word, knowing the heart, cardionosta. It means to know the heart. We have men in the medical field who have studied the heart, and they can do bypasses and all kinds of things with regard to the heart, as you're all aware they know the heart. But let me tell you, my friend, the heart here is not the physical organ in a man's chest. The heart here is the soul. And it's only God who knows the soul. It's only God who can read the soul and see the soul and see the motions in it and the, de the desires of it and the, and the operations of it in anybody. But certainly the focus here is on finding God's man as it was in this case. And so they prayed, Lord, you know all hearts. You show us who you want. We want a choice that is errorless, and it will be, as well as being eternal when it's the divine choice. So it's a divine choice. We move on. This choice, the, another aspect of it is not only that it's a divine choice, but a delegated choice. Verse 26, notice the words, and they gave forth their love. And so they had their pebbles, and they set them down in a certain way or in a certain place, and they indicated who was for Matthias, who was for the other man, uh, Josephus, as it's his name, or Joseph called Bersabbos. They indicated this. You see, the Lord made his choice in his secret counsels. But that divine choice that was eternal and without error was revealed through the vote of His people. 
And in that way, we call it a delegated choice. And the Bible teaches that. Here is the privilege that Christians have. God delegates to you the opportunity, yea, the privilege, to turn up on Tuesday night and sit down and take your pen and actually make your choice. Do not treat that lightly. But rather treat it with all the seriousness it deserves. What a privilege is given to the Lord's people. We saw this in Acts 6 when I preached from that passage where the apostle said, Look ye out among you. On that occasion, seven men. And so, in the days of earthly ministry, the Lord Himself, as we saw earlier there, He, he chose His men. He chose the apostles. But when He ascended to heaven, I mean, He chose them directly and immediately Himself, but when He ascended to heaven, He delegated to His people the responsibility of choosing their officers. Now, this is why two men were in view. Have you thought carefully about this? Mr. Short referred to this last week in his message, and I just want to draw your attention to it. Here's a prime example of what he said about uh, the matter of a choice. Names, certain number of names were left in the list, and therefore you have a choice. Now, you take this story here. They just needed one man, and there were 11 apostles there, and those men had special gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit, and they could have said, as if the Lord had directed it this way, they could have said, there's your man, Matthias. But they didn't do that. Now, first of all, we don't have apostles anymore. Ministers, elders are not apostles. We do not have special gifts. We know no more than you do when it comes to the matter of the choice. We have no idea in other words, what the outcome will be on Tuesday night. But the point is that the Lord here could have done it that way. He could have made it very simple. They wouldn't have needed their pebbles. They could have put a mark on the man. This is God's man. This has been revealed to us. He could have said that to the congregation. And the congregation would have had to have accepted that decision. But it was not done that way because the Lord from heaven was establishing early, early on in the early church, the apostolic church, the principle of choice that He delegates to His servants, His people, I mean, their right to make their choice between men, those who present themselves, as it were, to the congregation. And so the Lord is actually teaching us today that His secret and divine choice is revealed as His people think and they pray and they make their choice and they therefore exercise their discernment and therefore they bring forth the result that God Himself has already appointed from all eternity. Why does the Lord do that? Well, I've just told you why. He's back in heaven. He delegates these things to His people. It's a great privilege. We must pray. They prayed because they were demonstrating their, their limitation. They were demonstrating their lack of wisdom. They were demonstrating their complete dependence on the Lord's direction. If you look at verse 24 again, where it says, And they prayed, literally it reads this way, And praying they said. In other words, they prayed right through to the moment 
when the choice was going to be made. We don't pray for a week or a day or a limited time. No, we keep on praying. You keep on praying right through until your votes are cast, until the matter is finalized, until we get to the very end of the process because it is a choice that God has delegated to you to make. A divine choice, a delegated choice is a directed choice. Notice the word show in verse 24. Show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And the verb show there means actually to lift up. And what they're really asking is that the Lord would lift up His men, or His man in this case, but just keeping it that way, that the Lord would lift up His men before the minds and the hearts of His own children. In other words, what we're looking at here is these people led by Peter, actually asking the Lord to impress upon their souls the name of the man for whom they were to cast their lot. And we'll see a little more about that in a moment or two, but that's what the words mean. They wanted the Lord to lift up His man before them. That's the sense of the word show. It, it indicates to us today that the Lord does, the Holy Spirit indicates God's choice, final choice, the outcome, by impressing upon the souls of His people the individual or individuals for whom He wants them to cast their lots. It's a definite choice then as well. Verse 26, And they gave their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And I've explained to you that the casting of the lot was used here. That was a very common uh, way of making decisions in Bible times. You read about it a lot in the Old Testament. You read about it, I think it's seven, eight times in the New Testament. The casting of the lot, that was the process used by the Jews in various decision-making processes. They cast lots to divide up land in the Old Testament. They cast lots to select armies. You'll find all of these ways in which the lot was used. But here it's employed in, the, in relation to the appointment of men to church office. But the point is, it was a very definite choice. The Lord guided His church here very definitely to a certain man, and He does the same as His people pray, and they wait on Him, and they look for His mind and His will in our day and in our time. Now, there were two men here. And obviously, they were men of repute among the disciples. They they laid down qualifications there. Look at verse 21. "Wherefore, uh, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that He was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of His resurrection. And you think about those words carefully in 21 and 22. And you notice that as uh, Peter laid down the conditions or the qualifications, he stressed, for example, that the man they were looking for was not to be a novice. He says here, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and among us. He goes right back over three years there. Just taking a time frame. But the point is, the thought is, that the man they're looking for cannot be a novice. He has got to have been found among the people for some time. For what reason? Well, 
I've mentioned it already in preaching, to prove himself, to demonstrate that he's ready for it, to indicate that he has given sufficient time before the minds and the eyes of the people that he is ready for the office. It says there that going, back, going right back to the baptism of John onto the same day that he was taken up from us. And so it only was not an office, but he was a man who had stuck it out. Can I put it as plainly as that? He had stuck it out to the very end. He was there at the beginning. He was there right through. He was still there when the moment came. Both these men were in that position or had those qualifications, as it were. They had those conditions fulfilled. That's what Peter laid down, but at the end of the day, just one of them was chosen. And so it was a definite choice, and the Lord therefore brought that about. Remember the proverb in Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And brethren and sisters, we want the definite choice. We want the divine choice is delegated to you to make it. You need to ask for direction. Lord, lift up before my soul. Lift up before my mind. Help me to be sure about this. And then we will arrive at a definite choice. Do you see how marvelously clear the Word of God is? You might read these verses and think, well, this was for the first century. There's Judas. He denied the Lord. He betrayed the Lord, rather. And he went then and took his own life. And, and, and this has nothing to do with today. Ah, my friend, you couldn't be more wrong. It gives us serious, clear guidance about the choice that we are to make. So having dealt with the aspects of the choice and I want to move on to the acceptance of the choice, the acceptance of it. I refer to the acceptance of the Lord's mind as is revealed in the vote that was uh, cast or took place on that occasion. And here's the vital point. We seek God for His direction, and when it is revealed, there must be acceptance of the outcome by everybody concerned. That issue of acceptance is of great importance. It means that all those, as I put it, all those concerned, are to submit and to surrender to the revealed will of God. All sinful reactions, because I must put it that way, in the sense that there are sometimes sinful reactions to the vote of a congregation. All sinful reactions that have the potential to arise because of self-will and carnal reasoning must be set aside and the entire church of Jesus Christ in a given congregation rejoice in the will of God being done, in the will of God being revealed. Surely that's what we want. We want to accept what God does and God reveals in what He does. And that cannot be quibbled with. It's a basic and a fundamental aspect of the whole work of God. Let me develop that. The congregation accepted it. 
on this occasion. As I've shown you, the passage shows you, there were two men before the congregation, and the people exercised their right to choose this man, Matthias. It says in verse 26, and they gave forth their lots. Now, I've already commented on this or uh, pointed this out. We assume, and I believe rightly so, that some cast lots for Matthias and some for Joseph, Bersabbas, but Matthias was the man who was chosen. And so among the 120 disciples who were present on this occasion, some gave their lots for Joseph, Bersabbas, some gave their lots for Matthias, but all of them accepted the outcome. You see, usually there are men for, so, for whom some people vote who are not elected, meaning that those who cast their votes, just focusing on them, the people, the congregation, those who cast their votes must accept the outcome. And I really stress that. You know, there's a principle that's laid down. Let me just illustrate it this way. You take the highest court of our little denomination, the presbytery, and there's a vow that a man takes when he becomes a minister or an elder that he will be subject to his brethren. Sometimes something may be discussed and somebody says it, sees it a different way or there's an outcome that somebody else doesn't agree with, agree with even. But when it's come to pass by a majority of people, the rest are to be subject to their brethren. And that carries down the whole way through Christ's church, right into the diaconate, or the eldership, but the, the diaconate we're thinking about at this present time, and right down into the congregation itself. I'll come back to some matters here about the diaconate in a moment or two, but just taking the congregation the congregation, if you really mean business with God, if you're going to surrender to God's will, whatever the outcome is, you accept it. The congregation here accepted it. The candidates accepted it. Both men had to comply with God's revealed will. First, Joseph Bersabbas, who was not chosen. In fact, we never hear of this man again in the Word of God. Perhaps he was disappointed. You know, we're all human, aren't we? And if you maybe let your name go forward, as there are a certain number of men doing that, some will be disappointed. Perhaps. I don't know, but as I say, we're all human. Maybe as well, Joseph Bersabbas was a family man. I can't say that dogmatically, but just assuming that for a moment, just to get the point across. A family man, so his wife and his children too, if he had children, they had to surrender to the Lord's mind. So there are many, many little things you could say about Joseph Bersabbas, the man who wasn't chosen by the church. He accepted it. Matthias then accepted it. Let's just imagine for a moment, it's not uh, uh, unlawful to do this, but to get things across to you. Let's just imagine for a moment that this man, Matthias, was a kind of a retiring figure, and he felt he was inadequate, but he believed the Lord would have him allow his name to go before the people. And he 
Just take it that way. And he did that. In other words, he left himself in the Lord's hands. He maybe felt, I'm not material for this. I'm not fit for this. But I feel this compulsion to move forward with regard to this vote. And, and therefore, he had to accept what the outcome was. I have been saying to the congregation and preaching on, on those last two occasions that the role of the deacon is not some light, trivial matter. It has nothing to do with glamour and glory and all that stuff. If any man thinks that's it about, you're badly mistaken. It involves service and labor of the most intense kind. It involves sacrifice and it involves you giving up things for the work of God and for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's a very real thing. It's a, a very solemn, serious office. And maybe this man, Matthias, he felt all along, am I doing this uh, right? In other words, should I be in this role, etc., etc.? But whenever the lot was cast and he was chosen, he as a candidate had to accept it, as well as Joseph Bersabbos. So the congregation accepted it, and the candidates accepted it. You know, something struck me very forcefully. And I put it this way, the colleagues accepted it. And what I mean by that is that in this case, Matthias joined the school of the apostles. We know that. Look at verse 26 again. He was numbered with the eleven apostles. If you look at chapter 2, verse number 14, for example, you'll find that he functioned with the eleven. Verse uh, chapter 2, 14 of Acts, Peter's standing up with the eleven. So there's the eleven mentioned again. Peter's one of them. And so Peter and the eleven make twelve. And the point is that in that little statement, Peter's standing up with the eleven, that includes Matthias. And so he's accepted by his brethren, his colleagues in service and in work. You'll find the same thing then in chapter 6, verse number 1. I just want you to see these references because they indicate that this man, Matthias, although we, ne we know very little about him, he was an apostle, he functioned with them. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Verse 2, Then the twelve, and that includes Matthias, eleven plus one, you know, it makes twelve, so here you have it. Here's this man, and he's functioning immediately. Right away he's functioning along with his brethren in the office of apostle or elder, because all these men were elder, elders as well. So Matthias labored with his brethren, but the point is he was accepted by his brethren. Leaving aside the circumstances of Matthias's case, there is a principle revealed in these details. Going forward, the men who are chosen by the Lord, demonstrated by the congregation, are to accept one another in the office as colleagues whom the Lord has set there to do the work that He has for them to do. And so you can see the acceptance here the whole way through. 
the congregation, the candidates, and the colleagues. There's acceptance among them all. There is this principle coming forward, coming a lot, coming very clearly out of the Word of God. And I say that today, I don't know who will finally make up the 16 that we have mentioned by way of a number for this vote, 16 deacons. I don't know who they will be. I'm not God. You don't know who they will be. You might think you do, but time will tell. But what I'm saying is, whoever they are, and the Lord willing, 16 men in our ranks here now are going to fill this office. When that takes place in the will of God, you need to recognize that all your brethren in that body of deacons are your colleagues, and you are to accept them as those raised up by God. So there is this point of the acceptance as well as the point of the aspects of the choice. But then in closing, I'm not immediately, I'm not closing immediately, but the activation of the choice. The activation of the choice. You see, in Peter's directions there are certain details that reveals something of the activation of the choice that the Lord's people have made. In other words, when I use the word activation, to sum up a point, what I'm talking about is these, this man taking Matthias, this man, when he was chosen, he, was, he entered into the, the, the matter of activating what the Lord had given him to do. The choice was made, and then there are two things here that indicate this matter of the choice being activated in his life. In his whole being, what are they? Matthias acted as a witness. And then Matthias acted as a worker. Look at verse 22 again. Just look at that verse, part of Peter's directions here. And it says in verse 22, Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So Matthias was put into the point, into the realm where actively he became a witness in regard to the new office that he now is going to occupy as one of the apostles. He, he was given this privilege of being a witness of Christ's resurrection. Now that was actually a requirement for the apostleship in the physical sense. A man who was an apostle, just to say this in passing, it doesn't apply to deacons or elders or even ministers nowadays. But a man who was an apostle had to be a man who saw the Lord after he rose from the dead. That was a condition for a man who was an apostle. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that he had seen the Lord as, a, as one out of due time. What he means is he wasn't with the eleven, taking them when they saw the Lord at the Sea of Galilee, or when they saw the Lord ascending up and so on. Those 11 men saw the Lord after He rose from the dead. Paul saw Him on the Damascus Road. And that's how he puts it, as one born out of due time. He wasn't there at the beginning. But that's just to explain that. And so Matthias was a man who must have seen the Lord after 
his resurrection. And he did, because he's part of the 120. And they're there the whole way through this chapter. And he has just seen the Lord ascending up a few days ago before he's elected. He saw the Lord at least then, and maybe far more often in those days after Christ rose from the dead. But the, the principle again, the thought that's there is this. The deacon's focus must be first on the risen Christ. Now what's special about the resurrection of our Lord? It's this. And that's why we sang that paraphrase this morning. It's based on Hebrews 13, 20. What's special about the resurrection of our Lord? Simply this, it's the sign and the seal that the work of Christ is finished, that the atonement is made, that God is satisfied. In other words, it's a seal in the whole gospel. It's the capstone of the gospel. That's why you read so often in the book of Acts about these men going out to preach on the resurrection of our Lord, because the resurrection is just that. It's the capstone of everything. It's the guarantee of our own glory. It's the guarantee of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection means everything to us. And so, that's what the words are, a witness of His resurrection. Now, why does that apply to the deacon? First Timothy 3, 9, again, remember it lays down one of the qualifications of the deacons. And here it is, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And so the mystery of the faith is a synonym for the gospel. The gospel message of Christ crucified. Indeed, everything about Christ. Christ born, Christ coming into the world, Christ dying, Christ rising, Christ ascending, and then Christ coming. That's what's meant by the mystery of the faith. The word mystery, as I explained to you many a time, and I said it a few weeks ago, it doesn't mean something that we can't understand. That is, as it's used in the Bible, it means the very opposite. It's something that would be a mystery to God's people, but for the fact that God reveals it. And so it's called the mystery of the faith, the whole, the, whole, uh, the whole array of truths that surround Christ, who He is, His person, His work. This is what's in view. And so this man, Matthias, was to be a witness concerning that. But you see, so also is the deacon, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 9. Now, the deacon's work, to a great degree, is a work that's of a very practical nature. We see that in Acts 6. These, these men in Acts 6 were chosen to look after that financial well-being of those widows. And so it gives you an insight into what the deacon's work is actually all about. But you look at those deacons in Acts 6. And these weren't men who were without interest in the faith or in all that pertains to the faith, it was their heart's life. It was their soul's desire. You take Stephen, you take any of them, they were all men full of the Holy Ghost. They were all men who lived for the Lord. Stephen was a mighty preacher. Indeed, it has been said that Stephen outshone the very apostles. When you read that man's short life, you will find that he was without equal in those days. And he wasn't an apostle and he wasn't an elder. He was a deacon. But nonetheless, he held to the mystery of the faith. It was his most important objective in life. Dear brethren, 
who may be set apart, will be set apart by the Lord. Please take this on board. As I said there, the deacon's work is of a very practical nature. That's why they were appointed to assist the apostles, to free them up, to preach the Word and pray and so on, as Acts 6 shows you. And so their time was not taken up with serving tables, the, the term that's used there. I mean, the apostles, they, they gave themselves to these other matters, but nonetheless, while the deacon was there, or the seven of them in that case, they were there to assist the elders, it doesn't mean that they were unspiritual men. It does not mean that they were not Christ-like men. It does not mean that they were not praying men. It does not mean that they had no interest in anything else but the practical side of the work. No, the, the opposite is the truth. As I said to you in maybe the very first message of the three I preached on this now, it doesn't matter what it is about the work of God. And I quote it from Psalm 102. For the Lord's people favor the very stones and dust of Zion. There's nothing unimportant about God's work. If it's building a new building, or if it's refurbishing another building, or if it's whatever, or if it's taking care of the finances and all of that. And, and let me say to you today, I must say this from this pulpit, we have had a committee without parallel with regard to looking after those things. And they deserve credit, for credit is due. They have labored for these seven years, faithfully, diligently, carefully, doing their best to run those matters. And I can commend them for that. Let me tell you, friend, you who will be elected, the activation of the choice is that first and foremost you are in that role to be a witness for Christ and then a worker. Verse 25, it says there that he may take part of this ministry, an apostleship. Now, it has specifically to do with the apostleship there, but notice the word ministry. Because the word for ministry in that verse, 25, is diaconous, diaconous, coming straight from the, the noun that means deacon. And so what, how do you understand this? This diaconate and apostleship. Well, what it means is that here is specifically the service or the ministry of the apostle uh, spelled out. You see, the word ministry or as I told you, it comes from the word that means deacon. The word signifies that this is a form of service to which Matthias, in his case, was called to take part of this diaconeus and apostleship. The two words go together. In his apostleship, he was to work. He was to labor. I remember Dr. Alan Kearns many, many years ago talking about his church in Greenville where he was then. And he referred to a certain man whom I knew very well, having been over there. And this man was running for office. It was the office of deacon, actually. But Mr. Kearns made the remark that that man, he says, he is a servant. What he meant was, Whatever was to be done, he was doing it. He was laboring. 
That man's an elder now in that church. And he has served his God. He has labored in his work. The activation of the choice that flowed out of that choice on that man's part has been clearly seen down through all these years. Brethren, whoever the deacons will be, brethren and sisters, they have a job to do. We will find out who they will be in the will of God. We've looked here at the aspects of the choice. We've looked at the uh, the, the matter of the, 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 the choice being accepted by everybody concerned and then the activation of it. And may God's word today guide your hearts. Take you along in the choice that you make. And may the mind of God be done. And through it all may Christ be served and glorified and exalted far above all. Let us bow in prayer and we will come to close this meeting with a word of prayer. And may God write his truth in every heart for his own glory. Father in heaven, we leave all with thee. We thank thee that thou art the one who knows. Thou art the eternal God. And thou art the one who appoints men to the various offices of thy church. We're glad for that. And we pray, Lord, that as you delegate it to your people and they exercise their vote, that thou wilt guide, thou wilt lead. And all that we've looked at today will come to pass, will be clearly fulfilled. And may it all redound to thy praise. Bless thy work here. Bless the whole labor and ministry of this congregation. We thank thee for all the different ministries that are afforded to thy people and in which so many of your children are involved. And we rejoice in that. Lord, I do pray that thou wilt guide in the whole work of God, on into the future. And may thy will be done again, again, and again. Part us now with thy blessing. Grant us thy presence. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, for God's eternal praise. Amen.